Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We are in Colossians chapter 1. Today we will begin in Colossians 1.15. We'll read through verse 20. And, and we'll begin a section that talks about the supremacy of Christ. Do you realize Jesus is better than absolutely anything out there? And today we're going to look at that and, and to see how Paul uses the supremacy of Christ to begin to deal with the false teaching that was there in the city of Colossae in the church. And so read with me as we look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. He, and that, that He is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. Excuse me. He is the beginning and firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all, all of His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. Our God and Father above, we, we, we look at Your Word and we ask that You prepare us. Prepare our hearts for what it is that You will teach us today. Prepare our hearts to accept what You call us to, whether it's a call to repentance, whether it's a call to glory in our Savior. Lord, we have so many competing voices in our heads today. Please silence those voices, all of the voices except for yours, as we sit and listen so that we may obey what it is that you teach to us. And we know that it is through Jesus that we can hear your word and see your glory in it. And it is through the Spirit that we can be changed. And so we pray in Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit. Amen. So Paul wrote 13 letters to churches or to pastors, and there was a, a common theme through all of these letters. A false teaching had, had crept into either the church that was hearing the letter or to the pastor who was receiving the letter, and Paul needed to answer that particular false teaching or maybe even multiple false teachings as we're dealing with here in Colossae. We still do that today, do we not? Is there not a temptation for false teaching to creep its way into the church? Why do we do that? We have God's word to humanity right here. He reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself specifically giving us the message of how to be right and reconciled with God right here in his word. And it's a pretty simple message if you think about it. God created everything. He told us how to live. We rebelled against that, deserving judgment. He sent His Son, Jesus, to take that punishment for us so that we might have life. And if all we do is believe in Him, we will have everything we need to experience full reconciliation and the full glory of God, period. And yet we want to tweak that message. We want to add things to that message. Why is that? 
I think it's because we forget that Jesus is supreme over everything. And when we forget that he is the Lord of creation and the Lord of salvation, we begin to either worship the creation or seek to add things to our salvation. And so today we're going to look at the beginning of Paul's message on the supremacy of Christ and look at those two aspects of how Christ is supreme, looking at the fact that he is Lord over creation and Jesus is Lord over our salvation. Paul begins this passage by reminding us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, oftentimes we think of image as a picture or a representation that's a little bit less than what it is that it's representing. Think of a painting of somebody. You can't capture everything that someone is in a painting or a portrait. And that's typically what we think of when we hear this passage, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But Hebrews 1.3 in very similar language says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Adam was created in the image of God and then Seth, we are told, was born in the image of his father, Adam. Adam had a direct relationship as the image of God. Our relationship as the image of God is somewhat indirect because we are descendants of Adam. Jesus is a perfect, direct image of the invisible God. He is the only way by which we may know the invisible God here on this earth. Paul says this elsewhere as he is the second Adam. They were both created directly by God as the images of God. And so as the image of the invisible God, as the exact representation of God, He is also what Paul says, the firstborn of all creation. Now, throughout the history of the church, all the way going back to the second, the third and the fourth century to a man by the name of Arius, all the way up to today to the Jehovah's Witnesses and the church of Jesus Christ of the Latter day Saints, they have taken this passage and said, see, Jesus was a created being just like you and me. There's two words translated in the scriptures as firstborn. And one is literally like that. Gregory is the firstborn of Ike. But the other one takes this concept of firstborn in a different direction. It's the idea of primacy. It's the idea of, think about Isaac. Isaac was not the firstborn of Abraham, but Isaac received all the blessings, the inheritance, everything that Abraham was passed on down to Isaac. Jacob was not the firstborn, but all the primacy, all the prestige, all the inheritance passed on down to Jacob. And that's the sense that we have here. He is not the first created. He is the most important being in all of creation. He is the one who will inherit everything in all of creation. He is the one who is supreme, as Paul will tell us later, Over all of creation. He can't be part of creation because the next thing Paul says is what? Jesus created all things. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. There was not a time in which the word was not present with God and the word created all things. Paul fills that out here. Jesus created heavenly things, earthly things, Spiritual beings, 
political powers. There is nothing in this world that Jesus did not make. False teaching begins to creep its way into the church because we begin to mold and meld pagan philosophies into the teaching of the church. Did you know that Jesus created the minds that came up with the pagan philosophies? Did you know that Jesus created the minds that came up with the things that we try to add to our salvation? Anything that is good that we try to add to salvation, anything that is good in this creation that we try to worship was created by Jesus. He's better than any philosophy. He's better than anything that we could worship in creation. Not only thing, not only were all things created by Jesus, they were created for Jesus. Why do things exist? To bring glory to God. Why did the sun come up this morning? To bring glory to God, to point us to Jesus. Herman Bovink says, to the devout, everything in nature speaks of God. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. God's voice is in the great waters. That voice breaks the cedars. It, it, oh wow, I spelled a word wrong. It resounds in thunder. Man, I spelled it really wrong. That's pretty good. It resounds in the thunder and howls in the hurricane. The light is his garments, the heavens, his curtain, the clouds, his chariot. His breath creates and renews the earth. He both reigns and causes his sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. The Bible's view of nature and history is religious and hence also supernatural. Paul takes all of this that the Old Testament says is at the hands of God designed to point us to God and says it is Jesus. Not differentiating between one God and another God, but reminding us that the same God who did all these things in the Old Testament is the God who saves us. God worked through the second person of the Trinity to create Creation was given us by Jesus. Jesus holds all things. Creation was given us for Jesus. Jesus also, we're told by Paul, holds all of creation together. You know, if Jesus turned his back upon us for just the, the, the briefest of nanoseconds, everything would fly apart. Not only did he create all things, he holds all things together. And so the things we chase after in this world, whether it's knowledge, whether it's pleasure, whether it's things or wealth, all of them are created by Jesus and are created for Jesus's glory, Paul tells us. So why do we worship them? Why do we not worship the creator who is greater than all of those things? Why do we take something that God has placed in creation that is good for us to have? It is good for us to know things. God is a God of knowledge and we are created in his image. Why do we worship knowledge? God has given us the fruit of trees to eat and to be sustained by. He has given us animals to provide meat for us so that we might be healthy and sustained. Why do we worship food? God has given us men and women to be friends in our lives, to be spouses in our lives. And it is good. They were created by Jesus. 
Why do we worship them instead of the creator? We turn so quickly from the God who is Lord, from our Savior who is Lord over creation. And we turn to worship the created things of this world. But Paul says Jesus is not only Lord of creation, he is also Lord of salvation. He begins this by saying that he is the head of the body, the church. Now we think of the head of a corporation as the one who who gives the directions, who who sends us into the world to do certain things into the workplace to complete a task. And while that is part of Jesus headship of the church, it's not really what Paul is pointing to here. Not to be too graphic, not to be too distracting, but what happens if you separate my head from the rest of my body? The body dies, does it not? My body is wholly and totally dependent upon my head for life, for everything. The church, the body of Christ, is totally and wholly dependent upon Jesus for its very existence. For your individual salvation, you are completely and totally dependent upon Christ. For our ability to be gathered together as saints and believers, we are totally and completely dependent upon Christ. Every aspect of what we do as the church is in total dependence upon Jesus. He goes on to say that he is the firstborn from among the dead. Once again, he has primacy of those who have been resurrected. Jesus was not the first person in the scriptures to be raised from the dead, but he is the most important one. He is the one by which we have all hope for our own future resurrection. Remember back at the beginning of chapter one, he gives thanks to them because they love one another. He gives thanks to God for them because they love one another based on the hope of the future that they have. That future, that hope is secured in Jesus being the firstborn from the dead. He goes on to talk about how the fullness of God resides in Jesus Christ. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness Dwell in him. We look at that word fullness and oftentimes theologians argue over what it means, but it's a temple word in this context. It's a glory word. God had all of his glory, all of his completeness, all of his wholeness. Everything that God is dwelt in Jesus. He was fully God. We we. We cannot argue with this passage over whether or not Jesus was fully God. All the things that were given to God as far as creation are given to Jesus here. Everything that God is dwelled in Jesus in bodily form. That's why John says in John 1, we saw the glory of God in the person of Jesus. That's why Jesus says throughout John, you, if you see me, you have seen the Father. Everything that God is dwells in me. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. And finally, Jesus is the Redeemer. For God and through him to reconcile himself or to himself all things. 
What are all things? Well, all things, whether in heaven or on earth. We don't oftentimes think of creation being at war with God. We just think of ourselves being at war with God. But Paul in Romans 8 verses 19 through 21 says, One of you will say to me, then why did... That's chapter 9. Not doing well today. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Did you know that God is in the business of reconciling creation? All the things that are wrong with creation, animals attacking animals, animals attacking humans, death and decay. All of those things are because creation has been subjected to futility because of the sin of man. God's going to fix those things, too. Hallelujah. We're not going to some pie in the sky cloud nine where we're going to sit there with halos and harps all of our life doing nothing but singing and floating on a cloud We're going to get to see this world in all its fullness and its reconciled beauty. The glory of God that creation shows to us, we will see in its fullness, in its completeness. As we live on the new heavens and the new earth, this reconciled rock that we are hurtling through space upon will show us the fullness of God's glory. But he doesn't only reconcile creation, he reconciles us as well. Romans 5, 10 through 11. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have we have now received reconciliation. And that reconciliation comes through the peace that God, that Jesus has made with God on our behalf. It was made through blood that was shed upon the cross. I mentioned earlier that that word fullness is a glory word. It's also a temple word. The temple was the place where God's glory resided and where the sacrifices were performed so that God's holiness could dwell in the midst of an unholy people. That glory resided in the new temple, the temple of Jesus body. And we're going to learn later in Colossians and as we kind of parallel with with Ephesians as we go through that that fullness, that glory now resides here in the church. We are the means by which God uses to bring reconciliation to the world. That reconciliation that Jesus bought, that peace that Jesus bought for us. He tells us to go and offer that to the world. The fullness of God, as much as it dwelt in Jesus, dwells in the church. Now, we're not perfect like Jesus was. We stumble, we fall, but we have the glorious message. We carry the glory of God into the world. But the point of this passage is not merely evangelism. The point of this passage is what do we add to salvation? What do we say? I've got Jesus, but I need to do this. You know what? I've got Jesus, but I got to clean up my life too before I can really be right with God. You know, 
I've got Jesus, but I've got to learn to treat my wife better before I can really be reconciled to God. You know, I've got Jesus, but I've got to update my wardrobe before I can truly be right with God. You know what? I've got Jesus, but I'm carrying a lot of shame and guilt that other people have given to me through words or through actions that they have done against me. And until I can shed that shame and guilt, I'm not going to be right with God. Paul says no. Paul says the only thing we need for salvation is the one who has been given supremacy. For all these reasons, we are told he is supreme in all things. We don't need to add anything to the gospel. Jesus is Lord of creation. Jesus is Lord of salvation. Everything that we need in this world resides in Jesus. And many times we forget that. We forget that he's Lord of creation. And then we go seeking our fullness, seeking relief in the good things of creation that we turn into idols. And we do that because we forget that Jesus is Lord of creation. He created all those things. He is so much better than any any pleasure we can pursue. He is so much better than any distraction that we can pursue. And then we forget that he is also Lord of salvation. And we begin to add things to the gospel. Yeah, I've got Jesus, but I need to do this. Yeah, I've got Jesus, but I need to do that. Yeah, I've got Jesus, but I've got to get this right. Yeah, I've got Jesus, but and it's that but that gets us in, pro, in trouble when we begin to add. So we open today with the question, why is it so easy for false teaching to enter the church? And the simple answer is this. We forget Jesus. Let's pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you. That Jesus is Lord of creation and Lord of our salvation. When we are tempted to forget him, remind us. When we are tempted to embrace creation instead of the Lord of creation, show us how empty creation can be. And when we try to add our works, our merit to his completed work of salvation, Remind us of how futile that is and help us to rest merely in him. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.